good advice. It's really good advice. So we're, uh, we're picking up partway through this letter that Paul wrote to these people, the Ephesians, this city called Ephesus. We're picking up at chapter 4 today. So he's writing to these people who've decided to follow Jesus. He's writing to people who have actually chosen to live their lives according to his pattern. And we're going to have a look at what it means for them, what he's saying to them, and therefore what it means for those of us who've chosen to follow Jesus and model our lives on him in this city, Melbourne, today, here. So picking up in chapter 4, it's about halfway through, and he's told us who we are, and now he's going to tell us how to be. Okay, so we're halfway through. Who we are, how to be. So a bit of a background. The Jesus followers, uh, he's telling them, he's already told them, that he loves them, that God loves them, even before he made the world, and that he's adopted them into his family. He's chosen them. They are his they belong to him. Their identity is found in him. That he's doing this amazing thing where he's invited them into his family and he's not only invited them in, but he said the full inheritance that would be bestowed upon a child in this family has now been bestowed upon you. That is who you are. That's what he's told us so far in Ephesians. And he then went on to say that he hoped that the Ephesians, the people who were following Jesus at the time, would hear this information and they would know it. They would know it fully. They'd know it all the way to the bottom of their hearts. And now he's going to tell us what the implications of that, how it is that it's going to change us and them. So this is what he says. He says, This is my appeal to you, that you must live up to the calling you have received. Now, I have studied lots of different Bible passages, and this is from the New Testament for everyone version, but I always read some other versions which said, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. That, that was the one I'd always read. And then I've read this new version that says to live up to. And what I've discovered about myself is that something in this particular version where it says worthy had tripped me up. So when I think worthy, I'm the mum of three teenagers. When I think of worthy, where does my head go? I think of Cap almost being worthy, right? Marvel Universe, Avengers, you with me? There's, so there's Thor and he has a hammer. Mjolnir. <laughs> yeah. Jack's been coaching me. He has this hammer. Thor, Thor has this hammer, Mjolnir. But what had happened is that he'd been given this hammer that had like fantastic powers and only Thor could wield it. But there was this moment in the movie where Thor's father says, you're not worthy. I, re I re re remove your right to wield the hammer until you prove you are worthy. Yeah, and so there's you know the whole backstory, and he's regained his worthiness, and there's this scene in in one of the episodes where it's it's got all the other superheroes around, and they're all seeing if they can lift the hammer, and no one can, and no one can, you know, like not even Iron Man with his like suit can lift the hammer, and then Captain America comes along, and he's like, and it moves just an inch, yeah, and. 
thought, like freaks out because he thinks, what if I'm not the only one? But what it made me think about was this idea of worthy. And it's a really good explanation of how I had misunderstood what Paul was talking about here. So Paul had said, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. Or did he say, live up to the calling you have received? They're both the same thing, but the way I had read it was slightly different. For many years, I had lived my life trying desperately to be worthy. I did everything I could. I scoured the passages to figure out what I needed to do so that God might find me worthy. Every time there was an opportunity, I would say yes to it. I dived headlong into leadership, service, opportunities, everything there was to do, I said yes to in the vain hope that one day God might find me worthy of all that other stuff that was in the Bible about belonging to his family and being loved by him and being a part of what he was doing and to receive the gifts, all of those things. But what I realised is that I had read it wrong. Because the passage doesn't say, try hard to be worthy. The passage says, live a life worthy of the calling you've already received. Or, live up to the calling you have already received. So, there's Thor's hammer, just in case you're not sure what I'm talking about there. In Ephesians 1 verse 4, we've already talked about it in the backstory. Paul told us that even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us. And so I would read that and then read the passage about living a life that was worthy of it and think I had to prove and earn. Actually, that's not what that passage said. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us. Living a life or living up to the calling is not about proving your worthiness. I had misread it altogether. God doesn't require us to prove our worthiness. He's not a shape up or ship out kind of God. But he does want us to fully live up to the things that he's given us. He says this, Bear with one another in love. Be humble, meek and patient in every way with one another. Make every effort to guard the unity that the Spirit gives with your lives bound together in peace. So he says, live a life that lives up to the calling. This is how you do it. Bear with one another. Make every effort to guard the unity. That's how we live up to the calling that we've been given. It's the very next sentence. Living up to the calling that we've received means looking at how we live together how we interact together. He's, sometimes Paul talks about individuals, but here he's talking about us. He's talking about collective, our identity. Now, we are a motley mob. Sorry to say it, but as I look around and think about the people watching on the live stream or out in the foyer or in the room today or wherever it is, we are a motley mob. There's no other context in my life where I would interact with such a diverse variety of different people. Right through to the kids over in the kinder room and the grade sixes doing their cooking thing out in room five, whatever it is that's going on, we are a motley mob. And Paul tells us 
to pursue unity or to, to uphold the unity that we've been given and to bear with one another, to be humble and meek and patient. That's how we will live up to the calling that we've been given. So I, I found this picture, which I thought is not a great technique. I don't know whether you've ever heard of a get-along T-shirt where, like, the siblings, and I'll put you in a get... I've threatened my children to get one. It won't work anymore, and it would just be silly. And I don't think, according to this picture, that it's working. I really don't think it's a good technique. But I wonder what it would look like for us to pursue getting along. And why is that connected to us living a life that is worthy or living up to the calling that we've been given? We might not choose to be family, but we are actually bound together. For those of us who've chosen to follow Jesus, there is a sense of, of unity and belonging. We share in the same peace, the same invitation, the same calling. And we're instructed to guard that unity. It's not just a, a modern issue of disunity in families or disunity in communities or disunity in church communities. That's a, this is a very old issue and we are told to continue to grapple with it. It's an issue as old as time. And the reason that unity in our midst matters so much is because it's actually a sign to the rest of the world. When there is unity, the rest of the world will see there is only one God. There is one path, one way to connect with God. And we must live up to the unity that is given, this oneness, and make sure that we don't rip it apart. And the passage continues on because Paul knows that this is not easy. Unity is not simple. It's not easy. It's not going to happen naturally. Uh, and so he recognises that we require gifts. And God gives us the gifts that we need. Ephesians uh, 4.11 says, So these were the gifts he gave, some to be apostles, others to be prophets, others to be evangelists, and others pastors and teachers, to equip the people. So he gave us good gifts to be able to have all the equipment that we need to be able to do what we need so that we can build up the body, so that we can build up our skills and our capacities uh, and our in, with our interactions with one another until we reach maturity, and that's maturity in Christ. Imagine if every single one of us had the full Maturity of Christ. You know, like imagine what that would be like if, if every time anybody interacted with one another, we had that full capacity that Christ, that Jesus demonstrated. So when we read the stories about Jesus and we look at the way in which he invited people generously, the way in which he responded to difficult questions, the way in which he embraced difficult situations the kind of presence he was in there, the assuredness that he knew exactly who he was and he had nothing to prove. Imagine if we all interacted like that. And this maturity isn't just some like fancy spiritual maturity. It's also emotional maturity. So that conversation that we just saw between Phil and Troy, and those delvings into the way in which God was growing maturity uh, and, and um, insightfulness in Phil over his years. 
That's what it's talking about in all of those different ways. How do we grow in maturity? I, uh, my goal with my three teenage sons, two of which are in the room listening now, is to grow maturity in them. I intend to grow maturity in my three sons. And this is the way I explain it. Ready? My kids are sick of seeing this graph. Probably needs a bit of work, but anyway. So I say to them, control on one axis and, and you on the other. So I'll say to them, uh, when you were born, I had all the control and you had none. And as you have progressed through the years, I've relinquished control and you've increased control. Does that make sense? And at some point, there'll be a switch over and they'll take full control of their lives and I'll relinquish all of my control over their lives. But I do say to them, you are here. We, <laughs> we, we have not crossed over yet. And by the way, this is an increment of maturity, not age. It is not an entitlement. I'm looking for maturity in you in order to relinquish this control. That's just a freebie for you all to just take away and have a bit of a think about. And you're still here. He's making signs at me down there. <laughs> Paul goes on to say, you know, if we strive for these, if we, if we, if we uphold unity and we, we've been gifted so that we can interact with one another with better capacity and build up the body, uh, we'll become more mature. And he often uses the, he's using the phrase about the body, and sometimes we're described as sheep. I, I don't really love the sheep one, because sheep aren't really, it's not a positive, the analogy of we're all like sheep. Um, but in this one, he's talking about the body and all of the parts playing their part and contributing together. I'm actually going to go back, sorry. Just, can you take that one down, Nick? I'm not quite ready for that one. But maturity does not just arrive. Okay, maturity progresses along and we, we kind of earn it and we grow. In terms of maturity, you know, how will we know when we're progressing along and... Um, sorry, I've just lost my point. Let me try again. I will go there. That one. Yep, so Paul talks about what are the consequences of if we don't grow in maturity. And he actually says this. If we do grow in maturity, we won't be babies any longer. We won't be thrown this way and that on a stormy sea, blown about by every gust. Instead, speaking the truth in love and so grow up into him. There are lots of times when in our lives, you know, we're given opportunities to grow in maturity. And the consequence of not growing in maturity is that life will throw us this way and that. And the analogy of the baby being tossed about. When, when difficulties hit us, if we don't know our values and what we stand for, things will toss us around. If we don't know what our identity is, when, when difficult things hit us, we'll fall over. But if we continue to grow in maturity, then we won't get tossed about, we won't get flipped and flopped around in life as we grow in maturity. And the way in which we grow in maturity is, I'm going to go with three things. One is dig in to the Bible. Listen to what God's telling us about who Jesus is. Two, draw closer to him. Get to know him better. And three, use all of our gifts. Use all of the gifts that we've been given. Uh, you know, if my children gave me a gift and I popped it on the shelf and never used it, 
they'd say to me, why aren't you using the gift I got you? And I wonder if it's the same with God. If we use our gifts, then we'll grow in maturity as a mob, as a group. But if we actually don't bring all of our gifts, then we won't grow one another. We won't be growing each other. So participate in the church, in the body, bring your full gifts, dig into the scripture and get to know Jesus a little bit more. Craig, do you want to come up? A while ago, I was really thinking a lot about this and reflecting on the idea of of worthiness and growth and who God was asking me to be and what it looked like to live a life worthy of the calling uh, and really grappling with that. And so I took myself off into the bush, sat down on a rock and decided to have a conversation with Jesus. And I opened it with, Jesus, I'm, I'm pretty sure you snuck me in. I'm pretty sure you snuck me in while God wasn't watching. I'm pretty sure I'm not worthy. I'm pretty sure I haven't lived up. I haven't measured up. And I I don't know what else to do to, to live up to what I need to do so that I might be invited fully in. So that I could like use gifts and build up the body and be part of the what you're doing in the world. A, a part of this new community that you are pulling together in the world today. And I, I just got this sense that Jesus sort of looked at me with the, I don't know how many times I have to tell you this look. And he said, you're going to have to talk to God about that. And then, you know, I allowed my imagination to wander along. And I got the sense that God was kind of over there a little bit. And Jesus said, you go talk to him about this. And so I entered into a dialogue with God the Father. And I remember looking at the ground and saying, God, I'm pretty sure Jesus snuck me in and you just tolerated it. And, you know, like I'd love to live a life that's worthy, a total worthy life that where, like I'm using my gifts and participating fully. And (laughs) you know what God said to me? He said, where's your theology at? I'm him, right? And it was kind of like a bit of a shock. And I'm like, because what he was saying to me is, don't you, have, have you not read this stuff all your life? Jesus and I are one. It, and, and you're in. Stop fighting to be worthy. Stop fighting for your right to participate. You just are. And I'd love to say, and it miraculously changed everything in my thinking in that one moment, but it didn't because I still had really complicated things to unpack. Um, But it really did shift my thinking and I had to choose to stop believing that notion that I had somehow imagined that I was not worthy, that I didn't participate, that I wasn't part of this unity, this new community that God was building. And then he went on to talk to me you know, in my thinking around this whole idea of what's at stake if you don't, which is, I think, what Paul is talking about when he talks about living a life that's worthy or living up to the thing you've been called to. What's at stake if we don't? And if I don't, then I won't bring my full gifts. And if we don't grow in maturity and become more like Jesus then we'll always niggle at each other. 
there'll always be issues in terms of our unity. What's at stake if we don't? We'll just get tossed about here and there with every wave of life that comes at us. So I wonder whether there's work around worthiness that you need to do, that we are all invited, we are all included. God chose us before the creation of time. Or I wonder whether there's work around, you know, do I, am I bringing every gift that I've got for this body? Because, because our, our maturity will bring greater unity and that unity will lead to greater maturity. And the more growth that we have, the better we will become. The more like Jesus we are, the more we will demonstrate who he is to the rest of the world. I wonder if there's a challenge in there for you today. What will it look like for you to grow? How will you invite Jesus to grow you? How will you draw closer to him so that he can grow those little things within you? We're going to sing a song and it talks about this is the air I breathe. And I just wonder if you might take this as a moment to reflect and say, which bit do you want me to hear today? What is it that you want to say to me? Do you want to remind me to come back to you, to be in your presence, to recognise who I am so that I can live a life that lives up to the call that's been put on us, the invitation that's been offered us, the identity we've been given?